Okay, so I have Barrick Austin here. Barrick, how you doing? Pretty good about you, Brandon. <laughs> good. So, um, just a bit of background on your education you want to go over. Um, you went to Wright State for a bit. You, uh, I've been to. I went to college for seven years in total, and okay. still don't have a bachelor's degree. <laughs> that sounds like me, except I found a way around. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm close. I just, you know, depression, eh? Depression. <laughs> it's a meme now, right? <laughs> yeah, except I actually got diagnosed. <laughs> So I also am on the autism spectrum. If we want to go there too, uh, yeah, so that's good I have point. a little bit of a different outlook on social things than others might. So you, you've 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 uh, studied a lot of like um, international studies is your main focus. That's true. Um, so uh, topic for today is going to be uh, imperialism first, and then we're going to talk about uh, the Iraq War because that's a Fun, fun topic to talk about, right? Oh, it's so much. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> just everyone's favorite topic of discussion, the Iraq War. <laughs> no. So specific, I guess we'll start with specifics and move to generalities here. Um, let, me, let me open my notes. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so specifically, um, about like 17% of the British Raj died as a result of like the British occupation, right? Um, but... The Raj was not really industri- was not industrialized at all before uh, the occupation, and uh, even now, only half of all Indians have like plumbing inside their home, like toilets. And uh, a large weird stat is a larger percent of them have uh, smartphones than uh, toilets. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and if we want to say so, if we're wanting to talk about imperialism, we have to. If we're going to say that it's bad in general, we have to say that India would be better off. Having not lost, you know, like seventeen percent of the population, even though if they didn't get colonized, there would be, you know, less ra- there would would have been less railroads um, uh, and just less infrastructure in general. Which infrastructure is good in that it reduces human suffering, basically. So, um, so what are you positing? Because you, you threw a lot of points out there all at once. And so, what are you positing um, here? What are we actually discussing? So, I guess I'm pushing back against the. Uh, general conception that uh, imperialism was just this dark, terrible thing that has no benef- that had no benefits across the board to anyone. And I'll admit that it was, it was bad. Like, I, I do, I'm, I know I'm defending people who literally chopped off people's arms because they, like, didn't farm enough rubber in, like, Indonesia. Um, but, um... So I think imperialism is a really broad subject to bring up in a context like this. Um, because imperialism as a whole was... Undergone in various ways during. during it was a mixed bag between yeah. between nations. Yeah. So it's it's hard to speak. I'll I'll try to speak broadly on it, but it's hard to make very sweeping definitive statements when you have everything from the the Chinese invade uh, the Japanese invasion of Indochina. Yeah. And which was totally brutal with no yeah no with no yeah, benefits yeah, absolutely like no benefits to the British Raj as you mentioned or other British occupations too where. Yes, imperialist thought dictated that uh, the British were superior in a lot of ways, but there were also a lot of benefits. So it's, there's quite a big, quite a big spectrum there, and it's hard to. If we're going to say it, a, a imperialism was justified, it's it's kind of weird to do these um, uh, these looking back on historical events and saying if this happened, um, it would have been justified, but. Um, uh, so what do you mean by justified? So can we? So if we can show that the the British colonization and the subsequent like railroadization of the country um, prevented more deaths than it caused, can we say? Can we look at that and just say that it's a good thing? Okay. What's your definition of good? Um, <laughs> something, the so, something that's that would we could uh, something that we're not sad happened, I guess. <laughs> so I think. It's possible to be both sad that something happened and acknowledge that it is that I'm about to throw out another big word or another contentious word here. Evils occurred um, because, yeah, public health has gotten better in India. Child mortality rates worldwide have gone down in the last just in the last 50 years because yeah. of the tertiary and quaternary effects of imperialism. Um so, like, just from that, if you look at it just from that perspective, you can see that, you know, the effects of industrialization, which is not necessarily imperialism, but is somewhat linked, and imperialism as well, as well did bring greater knowledge and greater 
improvements to those cultures and those geographic regions as well that were imperialized. In terms of like networks, um, it, it, it seems like it's a good, just on the basis of that it expanded the world network. Um, so it's bringing vast, vast different cultures together, um, albeit some less, uh, receiving less benefits than others. But uh, just just that, that coming together of ideas is, uh, I would say, valuable because it's... Um, you get you get new ideas formed that way, um, and I mean it's the only way to, uh, I guess, rise all the tides is to actually have a integrated network in which uh, information and goods can flow, right? Right. Like no, knowledge has has spread and shifted, um, and the synergy between different cultures has allowed um, improvements in sciences and, and technology and the like. Um, but it is hard to overlook the exploitative elements of uh, um, of what happened as well people like you had people whose arms were cut off in Indonesia I believe it was Indonesia in the in the East Indies region by probably the Dutch I think or the it was French the Dutch. it was the Dutch yeah um, who were who ran rubber plantations and would chop people's arms off if they weren't productive enough um, or a place like the British Raj where you had a forced famine to support the British war effort during World War II even. Is that the exact, was that pretty much the cause of it? That yeah, I mean, yeah, that, Churchill basically decided, hey, we're going to call it, force them to be on starvation rations so we can support the war machine. That makes sense. Which was a choice that he made, and we won the war, but at what cost? The good and the bad come together on this, on this topic along a lot of other topics like this human endeavor generally tends to come with positive impacts and negative impacts and it's it is in fact the crux of the issue that we are discussing um, in deciding how to balance the good in quotation marks and the bad um, and it's hard to put a value on human life in both cases in both both directions um, a thought occurred to me a couple minutes ago when we were talking um, with the networks that you were describing. Those networks have allowed trade and knowledge spread and cultural interactions, but they've also, especially in the increasingly globalized world that we live in now, which again is a quaternary probably impact of imperialism, um, now you have things like, excuse me, worldwide pandemics that can happen that before would have been geographically isolated mm -hmm. um, had so had the had we not spread out and inter intertwined so closely instead of um, bubonic plague being isolated to Europe now if we and oh boy don't get me don't get me started on the number of uh, biological weapons that were created by Russia and China and the US during the Cold War also Japan during World War II um, any of those got out, it's not just going to be a European problem or a South American problem or an Asian problem. It's going to be a worldwide problem. If Unless people really close down borders really hard, we stop global trade, it, pandemics are going to happen. They're going to be a, a consequence of the interconnected nature of the world. Um, is it likely? No, because we have pretty good detection systems in place. You'll notice Ebola didn't spread worldwide, um, but by the same token, there are little, there are smaller consequences of that interconnectedness that are not. That those are the cost of the interconnectedness is vulnerability. Yeah, not even, uh, not even like uh, diseases either. It's uh, like the 2008 market crash in America. I mean, pretty much everyone is affected by that. Um, still recovering, still. Which somewhat, yeah. Which it, it's. I mean, I'm okay with that if that means that that everyone's boat's boat gets raised a little bit. And uh, I guess um, I mean everybody's everybody. The problem is now, if everybody's if if things are going up, everybody's going up, and if things are going down, everybody's going down. Which is a good thing and a bad thing, depending on whether things are going up or down. Um, again, we're throwing around good and bad like we have straightforward definitions of those things, but yeah. we don't. Um, and we'll just acknowledge that now and move forward. Um, so I guess the 
the question of imperialism, I guess, is that uh, how do you how do you unite um, disparate peoples who uh, have totally different ideologies, cultures, um, technology, um, and just thought processes in general? Um, <laughs> which I, we, we can we can certainly point to like the rape of Nanking when Japan invaded China and be like. That's probably not good, right? Like, that's what we call sublimation. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not a mixture. That is called a suppression and a sublimation of one culture over another, or at least you attempted sublimation. Because so, in that in that instance, they the Ch Japanese tried to sublimate Chinese culture, and but didn't work. They they got into into not into China. What is that province over there? Uh, I think it was uh, Manchukuo and. Uh, Manchuria. Manchuria, that's made, what I was uh, for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like Manchuria got captured but then returned. Yeah. It's not it's no longer Japanese uh, held territory. And it was it remained Japanese held territory. It never it to at least to my knowledge. It wasn't like Japan turned it into a, a new area of Japan. It was very much just an occupied area. Yeah. Um but back to your to go back to your more your original point there. Um it's the mixing of cultures is something that has to be done delicately and carefully and intentionally. If it's done unintentionally or without care for being intentional about actually allowing both cultures to mix and merge, gradual too. Gradually, is a, is yeah. Key. Um, I wish I had a culinary metaphor here because I know there are culinary metaphors out there, but you guys out in podcast land can just pretend. Um, and you have to saute them together? Is that like low heat? No. You saute the cultures together? Or is it saute I was thinking, is I was thinking more like, uh, oh, what is that? Uh, making a hollandaise sauce? Oh, I just had hollandaise sauce today. <laughs> you have to, you have to what is mix it? the button. You have to mix the eggs in slowly so that they don't cook. Because um, otherwise you just have scrambled eggs. Yeah. Um, and that's somewhat the way that cultures have to mix. You have to mix them slowly and deliberately um, with with regard to the two cultures because trying to let, let, let me let me posit a strange alternate universe where China and the US have decided to form one nation for some godforsaken reason. <laughs> um, I love China. Hi China. I know you're listening. Um, we, we love you over here in the U.S. We like buying your goods. Please don't let Trump screw everything up for us. <laughs> um, but let's say we were trying to merge Chinese culture and Japanese culture. Or, and, uh, Japanese culture. Goodness gracious. American, American culture. culture. Um, how would we go about doing that? Because we can't just transplant half of China's population into America and vice versa. That ain't going to work. Yeah. You have linguistic differences. You have religious differences. You have cultural differences. Just in the way, in the ordering, um, China, at least up until recently, if not still today, has a, a much more strictly hierarchical structure. Still, um, this is the land of emperors and figures of power and authority. Um, yeah. Whereas America was founded ostensibly an objection still, to that basically basically an objection to that yeah. idea yeah um, and if you went and talked to a, a Chinese person they would they wouldn't explicitly know that but it's in, it's ingrained in the culture it's implicit yeah yeah and it's a collectivist culture too yeah so whereas rugged idealist America or individualist <laughs> America would uh, so you, you have a cultural clash there that would be very very difficult to rectify and so the way it normally works is you the two cultures metaphorically beat the crap out of each other until one wins um, the only other way to solve it that's seemed to work so far is slow and deliberate understanding by everyone involved that hey we need to figure out a way to live together like to what like what happened in at least some respects in South Africa after apartheid ended um, with the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions and the peaceful, well, the relatively peaceful, tr power transferred peacefully once they dis once 
the whites decided that they were going to more peaceful than the apartheid. <laughs> yeah, which is a which is a high which is a high bar. Yeah, or low bar, um, depending on how you look at it. I mean, it didn't quite hit all out civil war. Um, which you know that's that's a decent way to be like, hey, we didn't go all out civil war on this thing because that would have been a mess. Holy crap. Um, but you look at how things have and haven't resolved themselves because you had a very segregated uh, set of you have a, you had a South African culture but there were some pretty distinct subcultures there that have had to try to figure out how to merge um, somewhat successfully there's still lots of problems there that are admitted to um, but they're working on it, and they tr are trying to go about it at least somewhat intentionally. Um, and it worked out decently well. They Whites were not massacred post-transfer of power. So I think uh, implicit in that, we're probably going to talk about this a bit later, but um, implicit in that is if you're, if you're agreeing that cultures need to mingle, you're agreeing that some ideas are going to win and some ideas are going to lose. Um, like, or both ideas lose and the third is mer third is yeah emerges from the ashes. But you have to, uh, I mean, it's, it's like looking at produce at the grocery store. Look, look, looking, uh, okay, this one's not as good as this. Let's mm -hmm. discard this or just get something entirely different. Um, so you can't you can't believe that um, all cultures are like rel like a complete, completely relative um, uh, thing. Like you have to believe that some cultures are just innately better um, through like whatever means. Uh, not not to say that like. The people are better, the land is better, the uh, right. ideas are better, but um, somewhere you have to point it to it to something, and mostly it's like ideas, usually. Um, uh, you have to be able to point to something and say that this is, democracy is good because of this, capitalism is good because of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, just um, don't, I don't think I need to convince many people that democracy or capitalism is good, but if you look at like the stats, well... <sighs> I probably actually do. You had to. You had to throw capitalism <laughs> there in there, didn't you? So just real quick, if you look at if you look at like all told violence, uh, everything from civil wars, uh, interstate wars, um, violence in the home, uh, the West has been declining steadily since uh, man since like pretty much as soon as they became democracies. Um, if you look at the graph of uh, amount of democracies that are like emerging in the world, uh, it's pretty coincided with. Uh, less interstate wars. Mm -hmm. um, so if we believe in democracy and uh, capitalism, uh, capitalism is like another uh, another leg of the uh, of the triangle there to uh, prevent violence. Mm -hmm. um, if we believe, believe in these values and we really think and we have good evidence that they reduce violence, um, we should want to spread that, right? Um, well, I mean, I think, I don't think you'll find many people who are going to disagree that violence is are going to disagree with you and say violence is bad. I think violence, or violence is good, rather. They would be disagreeing with yeah. you by saying violence is good. Uh, but I think the problem is you said the word capitalism, and my problem with that is only unfettered capitalism. Because when you take capitalism to its furthest ideal, or when you take capitalism and allow humans to go about the task of capitalism without checks on it, on their ambition. You have to box off some things that the, the market is just not going to... You have to regulate the market or box off entire things, like should be healthcare, <laughs> um, huh. that the, the capitalism just can't, so can't a, regulate. So a quick disclosure to our <laughs> listening audience, we are both emergency medical technicians working for an undisclosed ambulance company, a private ambulance company, and uh, we see the pitfalls of capitalist healthcare systems firsthand. Shout out to Bernie. I don't know. <laughs> hey, Bernie. How's it going? Uh, we'll hit you up on Twitter later. If we really believe in these, these things, that generally capitalism and democracy are good, uh, and then we want them for other um, countries, uh, then we have to admit that some ideas are better than others and that we should want to propagate these ideas to other cultures, um, uh -huh. which an example we'll get into is... Uh, uh, Iraq wanting to instill democracy in Iraq, uh, mm -hmm. um, and uh, before before we move on, uh, just like last little point on the British Raj, um, if we were to look at like the kind of the turnaround on imperialism in, in the West, um, 
So it started like what, like fifteen hundred ish, started sixteen hundred ish, seventeen hundred ish. Um, sure, we'll go with that. And then by um, the nineteen fifties, um, uh-huh. around uh, you know uh, when Gandhi uh, started protesting, like I mean, his protest was very effective. But the reason it was effective is because the British people, like they started to really accept the kind of liberal humanism. Uh, ideals that uh, uh, there's value in all human life, and uh, if that if, if Gandhi would have would have tried that out on like Mussolini, like it wouldn't have it wouldn't have flown, right? Um, right. So it's kind of a reflection of uh, the progress of ideals, right? Um, sure. So I guess what I'm saying is that uh, there's also a quick turnaround on the more integrated we are, there's a quicker turnaround on bad ideas. Which I think is another. As in bad ideas are swept out more quickly? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because, I mean, imperi- like imperialism had a short shelf life, um, at least. Uh, should, not short. Well, are you talking like on a geological time scale? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Even on like a human time scale, I mean. Well, yeah, in the, in the face of 20,000 years yeah. of human. Of human, or at least years of human dominance over the planet. Yeah, imperialism had a. Well, for, for, some, for some value of imperialism. It had a short shelf life. Um, imperialism, as in expansionistic imperialism. Yeah. Um, there was only a couple hundred years until we figured out, hey, this might not be the greatest idea. So, um, let's pivot to the Iraq War, which I... Th- yeah, that's a sharp pivot. Um, so, we have slightly different views on this. I, th- I think we're pretty close, pretty fairly close to the mark, uh, but we disagree, I think, on whether or not the Iraq War was uh, quote, quote unquote good. Um, Let's both say where we stand on this okay, before so, we make philosophical conjunctures about where it is. Okay, where so, are we starting? So my stance is that the Iraq War was justified, however poorly, poorly, poorly executed. Okay. Um, I don't exactly agree with the means that they um, that we used uh-huh. uh, to depose Saddam, um, but I would agree that he had to go um and uh yeah that's pretty much stance whereas i think that the period of justification for the invasion of iraq by the u.s pretty much by itself passed 10 years prior or whenever it was it was 91 91. gulf war was 91 we went in in 2003 wasn't it yeah so it was 12 years prior we would have been perfectly justified uh, and i'm about to jump in which i might as well my position is the Iraq War was ju- not justified in the time that it was undergone. Okay. The way it was undergone, like obviously, consequently, the way it was undergone was not ideal. not <laughs> to the mark to it's, which it's we should hold ourselves. Yeah. Um, but the people who are saying uh, that it wasn't justified, I mean, they're saying that, I mean, people can go up and flank, like people, the Kurds getting attacked in like an afternoon, uh, like five thousand people just completely mm-hmm. gone from. Uh, Mm-hmm. Chemical warfare. Um, I mean, we're, we're effectively saying that we are not going to intervene, like no matter the like casualty count, right? Like, I mean, how much higher would it have okay. to go to? So here's here's my. I have two. There are two lines of reasoning here that I have. I struggle. I've I've struggled with in my life. One is Amer- American solo interventionism. We have a history throughout the last. Oof, don't don't hurt yourself. <laughs> like I don't know, like when did we start jumping into other countries' business and being like, hey, Korea. don't do that. Korea, no, we do, we were in South America before that. Mm, we were we yeah. were doing stuff like we we invaded Cuba. We were pretty anti, um, pretty isolationist after World War One though for a while there. Right, but before like pre World War One, pre like we we fought the Barbary pirates. Yeah, now that was that was, that was the that, first thing we pretty yeah. much did as a, as but a that, nation. But like, again, that was more justified because they were directly attacking our shipping. So yeah, I mean that makes sense for us to us to be the one to be like, hey, stop. But then you have a whole bunch of South American dictatorships that we propped up. We invaded Grenada. We invaded. Um, that was after Korea, though. That was after. Well, again, but post like you can see, especially during the Cold War. We were in a lot of. We did a lot of interventions, both directly yeah. militarily and indirectly through like CIA. So what? That, um, what? What was your? What are you struggling with? Directly. So my. So 
solo interventionism by the US. Okay, so you're saying that it needs to be a, more of a joint. Uh, so what, what because your... it, because it's it's one thing for the U.S. to say, we are the world's police. We're, we are by ourselves allowed to make the decisions of who can and cannot do things. Which that's, we are not the U.N. We are not the world making decisions. We are one country, a, a dominant country, but when we step in and say we are the arbiters of what is right and what is wrong, that I have a problem with. So is that is that the reason there, uh, the lack of oversight? You're only having one party. Um... You have one very very, yeah. You have one party, who who can't, inherently can't make things in a, make decisions like that in a neutral manner. It's always going to be tinged in favor of that country, and so and, when you want to talk about Iraq specifically, in in the oil center of the world now, what 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 was and still is, the oil center of yeah. the world. Like the the Persian Gulf is, where a lot of oil comes from. Yes, we did just recently become the one, world's number one producer of oil, but that doesn't mean that OPEC doesn't still hold a significant amount of power. And so for us to jump in in 2003, 12 years after Iraq stepped out of line and invaded another country. And a coalition of nations came in and said, um, no. Um, for us to come in 12 years later, finally deciding to do something about the chemical weapons that we'd been seeing for years and years and years and doing basically nothing about, that at least we can talk about, or that can be spoken of publicly. You and I have no special knowledge of any operations, but perhaps the CIA was doing things. I don't know. Um... For us to jump in then, at a time where oil prices were getting higher, I believe, I believe at least, oil prices Probably were getting were. higher. Yeah. Um, like there was clearly there were a lot of different mo like there were a lot of. The invasion of Iraq was not strictly a hey let's go free these people from an oppressive dictatorship. There was very clearly other motives as well, other very powerful interests, non-governmental interests, that went into the decision to go in and take down Saddam Hussein. Yeah, um, I, I'm not really worried. Um, I'm not, I guess I'm not as concerned as uh, most people are about uh, America's interest in oil. Um, in that, if if Iraq is a compliant nation that is a global world trader of oil, uh -huh. um, it probably is does not have that many human rights violations, right? Um, if, <laughs> if if if, if they're very key word, if they're fully integrated to the market and uh, um, compliant. Uh, what do you mean by compliant? Um, I guess not belligerent to its people or other people or other nations. Um, then that's a good, I mean, that's that's just a good thing. Um, oh, one aspect I didn't throw in earlier, which comes to your compliance point of view, is we also, as a Christian nation, uh, stepped into the middle of Islam's back. We went into Islam's backyard and said, yeah, we're just going to knock some shit over and wreck, the, like, wreck your infrastructure, which was already in a crappy state to begin with. And just totally kick over the hornet's nest right next to Iran, one of our one of our enemies from the eighties. Frenemies, yeah. Uh, no, they're. I mean, yes, <laughs> frenemies now because we might have realized what a mistake we made back then, uh, upholding the uh, the uh, Shah. Which again, talk about interventionism. We propped up a, a dictator who was being belligerent to your people, to his people, to use a term you used earlier. Um, and for once, a people group, the people stood up and said, oh, uh, no, we're, we're done with this. Uh, they installed a theocracy, which, not great, if you were trying to propose democracy, but instead of, instead of propping up a ruler, we could have done much more there to instill democracy there instead. I think two things that really conflated the problem in Iraq is that uh, the scripture is expressly against any uh, outsiders like well, stepping foot in the Holy Land, um, and that uh, how, how how much that's actually subscribed to to people um, probably a fair amount I would imagine at I, least forty percent. Yeah, I, I do know that um, the other part is that uh, I mean their governments are uh, their government and religions like impregnated into each other basically. And I understand oh, that that's yeah. that, that's funny. We're we're such we're such paragons of <laughs> separating religion and state. I mean, we have it. We have it written in our, uh, you know, our constitution that uh, 
should there's, there's, sure, should sure sure should be different. But, we uh, have it written in our constitution, but we see how well yeah. that's worked for things so far. But I mean, those two those two factors really, um, and uh, I don't think we even need to talk about how just terrible the the war was in general, uh, even if it was right technically right in principle. Um, but um, the uh, something that people overlook is that uh, um, I mean, Iraq could have definitely. Um, made nuclear bombs uh, if they would have been left alone uh, um, sure. for, was, a, for there, a bit of time. There was they, a reactor in Osirak that the Israelis bombed. There was no, and that was in, I think that was in the 90s. Um, that was 90, I want to say 93 or 94 that Osirak got hit. Because uh, after the Gulf War. Because, um, and, well, I got to interject. The Israelis decided, hey, this is a problem. Anybody else going to help us with this? No? No? Okay. Screw it. We'll take care of it ourselves. Yeah, um, they didn't. They didn't wait for the UN. And, and they got. <laughs> and they got. And they got condemned by the world for it too, yeah. because they. But it's probably the right move. <laughs> but again, it also <laughs> saved the world's butt because his his nuclear program was almost certainly set back because yeah. of that, the destruction of that facility, and the invasion of uh, the liberation of Kuwait rather, um, pretty much shut down the entire uh, nuclear program. Which at the time, the 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 bomb maker. Um, Good his name exactly, but the, the Saddam's bomb maker uh, in '91 was went on the record, uh, wrote a book about it, um, talking about how close they were to uh, making a bomb in '91, uh, but that the uh, the intervention basically stopped that, and uh, they planted like a centrifuge um, in his garden basically uh, to, to like actually effectively hide the like critical components to uh, making the bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no like actual nuclear program in 2003 for sure. I think by that point the sanctions had pretty much crippled any attempts at the program he had. Yeah. Although I've also I can't remember there were reports in 2003 about North Korea actually supplying yeah. or actually vice versa. I think I think Iraq was, was supporting... trying to get yeah, they were like they were trying to support one another yeah. in nuclear ambitions. Um so there's that in a point that's probably on your side more so than mine, we did also probably hamper North Korea's nuclear ambitions for a little while by shutting down Saddam. Yeah, not like it matters now that they are nuclear. Well, yes, now that <sighs> that's a whole other another barrel. That's back. a whole other podcast, man. Let me tell let's, you what. Uh, let's try to stay on the topic here. <laughs> um, so, what are your? Uh, I guess I guess you already told me your uh, ideal condition for like uh, intervening into another nation um, in '91. Uh, the first Gulf War should have been deposed. So, and quite frankly, I was. So I, I guess what are your what are your criteria like? Um, what are your criteria for actually invading a country? So it seems like uh, what. So I guess what did the Iraq War in two thousand three not have that the Gulf War had in terms of uh, a global coalition? Okay, we did some. We kind of sort of had a coalition. But it was not a, a unified front, like it, at least from what I've heard. Like, again, I haven't studied the Gulf War extensively. Um, it's basically I think there was much, doing all the, most of the work. In 2003, yes. Yeah. In 91, we spearheaded it, but we had other nations intimately involved. We had the, Brit- the British were in it, the French were in it, like actively. Saudi Arabia was in it actively. Like, we had a more, much more global coalition welded together. I think, I don't know, but I'm, again, I'm not a military historian, listeners, so. Keep that in mind. Um, I think it was pro- it was in all likelihood more justified back then because they had already certainly the smoking gun of invading a sovereign nation. Is yeah, like... it's like okay, no, you're gonna like he had already been a belligerent for quite some time. Yeah, of any time for us to be like, you know what? He's been gassing his people. Doing all sorts of crazy crap to him. He's got a pro- he's got nuclear, biological, chemical weapons. Yeah. yeah. Um, ABC atomic. Um, he has ABC. Bi- biological warfare is basically useless. Like it's a terrible weapon. It would have been I'm a sure bad it day. Could be bad, but like mostly benign. They're, I can't remember what terrorist group. Oh my, they were mixing anthrax and smallpox. Yeah. They I, successfully combined anthrax and smallpox together. I forget what what. Um, well, there's a terrorist organization uh, in the Middle East somewhere that was using, was trying to uh, pioneer using chemical weapons, or not chemicals, uh, biological weapons. Uh-huh. And they found that they went through like 11 tries to actually get this, this thing started, but they just could not find a way to actually transmit it 
uh, effectively, and they just went to bombs. So, like, <laughs> okay, it, biological weapons are a much more sophisticated and much more. They cost a lot more. They cost. They, they cost, cost a, a lot hell more. of a lot more, and it, it's hard to get them to disperse properly. It's hard to get them to spread, but the Soviets had fifty years of straight work on stuff, and they they I. It's never officially been talked about where those things are now, but after the breakup of the Soviet Union, who knows what happened? Yeah, some of those some, stockpiles. Probably some nuclear bombs missing. But um, back on track, um, what? And uh... in, in the end, he was deposed, and those attacks on civilians did cease, but not after more people were allowed to suffer. So, fun little stat, real quick. Um... Uh, kind of like so, autocracies writ large um, ruled by like a couple individuals, one individual. Um, that causes the most interstate wars out of any government form. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but even bad democracies, like terrible, uh, unrepresentative democracies that are like basically not democracies at all, um, they still cause less violence than uh, than uh, than those uh, tyrannies. Um, so, I mean, even if you do it badly, you usually have less, at least interstate war. Um, so, are we a nominal democracy or a, a legitimate... <laughs> That's, a <good> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, there's a, I, there's a, a higher incidence of uh, civil war, obviously, because there's not a repressive regime uh, uh, tampering down on uh, uh, any warring sides. But um, Intrastate, democ- uh, intrastate warfare is lesser in yeah. autocracy, yes. Inter- interstate, demo- uh, interstate warfare... It's higher with autocracies, yes. Yeah. So, um, I guess, uh, how do you feel about? Um, so, some people think that the only reason Russia hasn't started seizing more states in, uh, like, the Estonia area, uh, what is that? The uh, the Baltics, the Baltic states, Estonia, Lithuania. Yes. Those three over there. Um, some people. Uh, there was a UN uh, military uh, practice. Uh, Exercise. exercise, yeah, um, and uh, they found that Russia was able to like seize. There's a there's a really narrow corridor that they can seize uh, that's bordering Russia. Uh, I forget in which uh, nation exactly, but they can seize that and basically cut off uh, the UN from uh, almost all of those countries, at least two of them, mm-hmm. um, and they could just basically just take them over. Um, and it's a it's a real serious problem. Those, I mean, those, those nations exactly know um, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, uh, tumultuous uh, environment they're in. Um, how do you feel about uh, like American spending on like yeah, prevention of uh, Russia uh, revanchism uh, when you like reclaim for, uh, like previous territory? How do you feel about um, that? See, this is where I'm I'm internally mixed because on the one hand, this strokes the string of why are we being the world's police? Yeah, and on the on the other hand. There's the realist in me who says, well, we're here now. We're in the position we're in, being militarily dominant, in quotation marks. Um, And as part of protecting... Like, if those countries are are welcoming us to come and help them defend themselves, I don't necessarily see a problem with that. So basically, if the majority is saying that they actually want to be Russia... Um, nothing lost, basically. I thought we were all about self-determination here. Yeah, I, I guess like, I guess I'm fine with it too. I mean, I don't really have. Like if if a country now again, the 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 fraught nature of that statement is the fact that is it actually like you got to figure out is actually like is the country actually as a whole deciding we voluntarily want to like are they essentially a a state joining the U.S. Or is this a population of people who are under economic, political, insert other pressures here to reunite with Mother Russia? So it's not really a a choice freely made. It's a, well, if you come over here, we'll stop embargoing the crap out of you. Okay, so uh, free of of any pressures and they're not misled in what they want. Exactly. If if, If a country freely decides, oh, hey, let's... Join Russia. I mean, I guess. If you want to do that to yourself, we can't really stop you. 
But if Russia's saying, hey, we're going to cut off your natural gas supplies, and uh, it's it's October, or it's, uh, no, it's February. It's February. You now no, no longer have natural gas supplies through through the pipeline that we have to you. Um, Literally gangster sanctions, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they've done that, like, Russia's done that before to, to Europe. Yeah. You're, like, Russia has been like, oh, I'm sorry, there's problems with the pipeline. <laughs> you guys won't have heating gas now. And, and Europe's been like, oh, crap. We, like, we now have to start having tankers of liquefied natural gas coming in from other places. Heating prices go through the roof. It screws with your economy. Like, there's all sorts of knock-on effects from that kind of thing where it might just be easier for a, a small country with not a lot of economic um, influence, power, resources, um, to fight back. You, you cut off somebody's heat in the middle of winter, there's not a whole lot they can do about it. They're yeah. going to go out and buy another heater so they can use their electricity instead of their gas? That's not how that works, especially not on the scale of a country. So you'd agree that this is this is a, a pretty beneficial. Uh, <clears throat> what it's, it's better it's better to to prevent any kind of conflicts than uh, to just be isolation. Uh, I think I think most would agree that preventing conflicts <laughs> is better than having conflicts. Some people feel that America needs to be isolationist, and I, I don't think they're fully aware of the uh, kind of the potholes we're avoiding, uh, mm-hmm. kind of sticking our finger in the pudding, so to speak, of uh, everybody else. Well, actually. So, Russia is the ocean. Our, our policies, such as the ones you've discussed, are a dike. And there's a, there's a fable about a dike and the ocean and little holes being popped in that dike. And a little boy sticks a finger in the dike and prevents the ocean from rushing through and creating a bigger and bigger and bigger hole. And he he has to sit there until someone comes along and finds him and is able to help him and raises the alarm that, hey, there's a leak in the dike, maybe somebody should come fix this. Um, So we can either stick our our finger in the dike and prevent little problems from becoming big problems, or we can let the problem get bigger and bigger and bigger until the ocean rushes in. And then then you've got a bigger problem that you have to deal with. So you're saying we need to stick our finger in Russia. Sure. That's the way you want to think about it. Um, do you agree with the statement that there's never going to be a time when strong arming, strong arming other nations with uh, doesn't even have to be military power, but um, with sanctions or some kind of like uh, attack on their network, um, if they're not being a compliant partner, uh, there's never going to be a time when that is not useful or used. Sanctions are going to be used all the time. It's better, and in fact preferable, that those be used in conjunction with, again, with international cooperation and with international understanding of why those are being done. But in the case of a bilateral relationship where it literally just affects the two countries, those things are an element of the political system that's never going to go away. Because a lot of people feel like we live in this... uh end of history moment where there's never going to be any war, any violence, any, um, any time when nations are like really disagreeing with each other, they have to like, you know, actually fight over something. There are people who think that war is over. Oh yeah, pretty much like, yeah, for sure. Sorry, for those at home who can't see my face right now, I have a look of confusion (laughs) and incredulity. Um, my position real quick, we're going to take a break in a second, but, uh, my position looks like you do not like when uh, the United States gets involved uh, these issues without support from like a coalition. Unilaterally, yes. one might say? Yes. Um, however, um, you could imagine a scenario where, let's say, China or Russia is being an, an uncompliant partner in uh, producing AI. Say everything we think about AI is true and it's going to wreck the world uh, if we produce it. Say that's true. So Skynet happens in China. Yeah, but saying. like not like walking robots, like crashing no. the network and taking... Skynet from Terminator... Salvation? Was that the, the where list? It was the one where it was literally just like, oh God, he's in the bunker where the AI is, like, he, the, the AI sends him to the bunker to survive? That one? Yeah, you know sure. what I'm talking Let's about? That, yeah. yeah, I've seen that movie totally, like, yeah. <laughs> there's not actually walking robots in that movie, I don't think. It's just literally, they're constantly fighting an AI that's 
gradually taking over systems. So, so say that's true, okay. um, and we cannot get the UN to actually intervene in this, and we're sure that like this is going to lead to like the destruction of, of humanity uh, as we know it. Um, it seems you would, you would agree you would agree that we should have um, coalition support, but in in a scenario like this, it would be beneficial to to like topple the the government that's producing this. Are you positing then that top, that so let's so let me make sure I understand your supposition. Supposition one: there is an there is an AI that is taking over things to the point in a in a country that will it's likely to happen. Yeah. So it, there is a let's just throw numbers at it. So supposition one is. There's a 90% probability that new proprietary AI developed by the Chinese military is going to take over their nuclear capabilities. Is that doesn't have to be that. They're just going to integrate. Like, say they're just going to integrate it in the in the, like the world network. They're going to integrate it, and it's, they're just going to let it run wild out, okay. out in the network, out on the internet. And um, and we we have a strong suspicion that this thing is just going to take over all all internet connected systems. Yes. Okay. That is, that is, and we know that is going to be bad. Okay. Well, yes, we, we know that would be bad because the international economic system would collapse if that yeah, occurred. Essentially. So, and what your supposition too is then, the UN for some reason doesn't understand the the nature of the threat of this AI, in true action movie fashion. No one. No or one, or there's just a member obvious obfuscating for China and not, so <laughs> Russia. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Decides. Oh, it's not going to be. Says in the Security Council. Oh, it's not going to be that big a deal. So. Uh, no, you guys can't get a Security Council resolution. We know, we know Russia's going to veto. I mean, come on. Well, like they game. want they want a copy, um, or they just want to see Vladimir Putin riding a bear at some point. So I know I've kind of like, uh, I'm like have your arm behind your back essentially here. Like you have to say yes, right? Like there's not like no. I would I would want to like. I think there are the less road. extreme examples where intervention is still required. Okay. You don't like. So there, I'm not. I, I will. I will not. You will never hear me say there is no condition under which the U.S. can unilaterally take action because okay. so there are certain instances under which the U.S. has to defend itself without necessarily. Now, defending itself to the point of eliminating the government of another nation <laughs> that's, that's is, a would pretty... require a pretty stinking. Large. It's kind of gerrymandering of uh, the, the word defense, right? Like you're. Yeah, of... like you've heavily. That is, that is a very, very heavily gerrymandered <laughs> version of defense, where defense has actually just been like the definitions have been erased, and you've just copy pasted in the word offense. Yeah. Like yeah, let's just so to defend ourselves, we just need to take out the entire command chain of China. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. No. So in summary, Vietnam was bad, okay? Vietnam was a poor choice. And so was the Iraq, invasion of Iraq in 2003. Yeah, I mean... Did it did it have some good results? Yeah, yes. And no. It, well, and yes, it had some good results. It also had some crappy results. Because, you know, we we kicked the chalk out from... Oh, yes, I used this, I used this metaphor with you the other week, and I'll use it again for the podcast. Brandon and I were talking about this the other week, sitting in our ambulance, driving around, um, and we were uh, we were talking about the Iraq War and how one of, I was describing one of the knock-on effects of the the invasion in two thousand and three was the reemergence of humongous sectarian tensions in Iraq, and that's it's I don't know that seems like a downside that's significantly downplayed by a lot of people who are who are in favor, who continue to be in favor of the Iraq, Iraq the invasion of Iraq in 2003, is like, people yeah. Were, how people saw some people were taken to the street and literally killed with screw, like with uh, um, drills, like getting their brains drilled out, to, like a drill. Yeah. yeah. Like, pretty barbaric stuff that's like movie material that like you wouldn't expect to, mm -hmm. yeah. But you are like, that, that's, the, that's the problem is when you come in and take out Saddam, who was gassing his own people, like, Saddam, I, do not get me wrong, listeners. Saddam was a terrible person. Okay, like I'm not here supporting Saddam, and here being like, "Hey, we should have left him in power." No, he was he was a t terrible person who deserved everything he got. I'm gonna link it, but there's a video you can watch. Have you seen the video of him, like taking half the bath party out out behind the uh, whatever building they're in? No, and, but I remember this. Yeah, about that. so yeah, he's like, he has someone call names. He's just sitting ominously on like the podium. I have seen that one before, and he's and smoking just, a like, cigar, walking out the door. Yeah, and they're and, just like you, yeah. you, you, and then 
all they hear is like machine gun fire. And he has he has the half that weren't called uh-huh. actually execute the people out back. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, yeah. That was on live TV. Live oh, TV again. So again, listeners, just to be clear, I am not pro Saddam. <laughs> <laughs> he was a horrible, terrible person who deserved to be hung several times over. Unfortunately. We have but, but yeah. we only have but the one life to live <laughs> and to give to our nation, um, and unfortunately he was able to hold on to his nation far longer than he should have been able to, or at least should have been allowed to. Yeah. But uh, but again, because he wasn't able to continue, the sectarian violence was kept at bay for twelve more years than it would have otherwise. So basically, the rolling boulder of uh, murder was stopped by you know a, a chalk block. The rolling border of thou- like literally a thousand years of sectarian tension between two the two major factions, uh, the two major the two main denominations. Yeah, to yeah, steal yeah. a word from Christianity uh, of cultural appropriation. Stop using that word. Yeah, <laughs> for lack of a better word, listeners, the two main. The, the two most populous denominations of Islam were held apart by the threat of by the threat of actual like genocidal violence against individual tribes by Saddam. Like he just basically said, "No, you guys can't. You guys have to stop fighting now, or I will kill all of you." Basically, he's like, "Stop killing each other. I'm going to kill you." And he's, he killed some of them, and then the U.S. was like, "Hey, stop killing people." And then, yeah. or we're gonna kill you, and he killed. Then we killed people, but then they went back to killing each other too. So yeah. So like, so was Saddam good? In very limited ways. Yeah. Yes, and far outweighed by the negative he did. But he did keep the two sides from fighting one another just by killing both sides himself when he needed to, in his mind. Um, I think that's a good rap point. Yay! <laughs> Saddam was bad, except when he was slightly okay. Slightly certain, not, not so bad. Slightly not as evil by stopping people from killing one another over some decently significant, but ultimately, unfortunately, divisive religious issues. So thanks for coming on the podcast, Beric. I enjoyed I didn't have a choice. You showed up at my doorstep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of demanding, yeah. 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 It was just... Here, 